I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. Hi, I'm Michael Morgan, and welcome to this week's episode of The Woke Class. Joining me as always, it's G. What's going on, G? What up? What's good? I'm good. I'm really, really good. <laughs> I have to say, this this past weekend, I watched all fights, and that is Bellator 248, Stroke Bellator Paris, and KSW 55, and UFC Fight Night 179 Rise wow. versus Sandhagen as a fan. I did not watch as a media owner, um, media outlet, um, originator, or uh, videographer, nothing. I was a fan, and damn, I had a ball. I even like tuned in to um, the fight night, which was going on on BT Sports. This was boxing, but listen to this. Let me just set the scene. Mm. you got two pundits. Mm-hmm. One's David Hay. David Hay, all dressed in black, looking really suave, really smooth, really sophisticated. And his white counterpart, who is, um, well, I guess he is, uh, he, he is the main anchor. I forget his name. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is the exchange that happened as, um, I have to say, this, is, <laughs> this has been cracking me up since I saw this yesterday. Are all set very shortly now for our top of the bill here tonight at the BT Sports Studio. It is for the famous and historic British middleweight title. And before we get to talk about our main fight here, David, I think it is perhaps appropriate tonight that we just pause to mark Black History Month, most of all. And we we discussed it today and we thought it was actually right that we acknowledge that properly and there's nobody better placed on our team to do that than Steve Bunt. So over to you for a moment, Steve. Thanks very much indeed, Paul. Now, Steve Bunce is an ageing, balding white man. You've got <laughs> written to go David Hay rubbing his hand seemingly and the camera cuts to Steve Bunce. I was cracking up. This was just so awkward. It just looked... I mean, are they obviously rehearsed. They, they obviously... Um, I had this all queued up, but it looked that they were going to actually cut to David. Hey, no, Steve Bunce, aging white man. He's going to tell us all about (laughs) all about black history. Oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Maybe maybe I laughed about this more than I should, but it was just so funny. The setup. You have to see the setup. It's absolutely hilarious. Right. You might think the black guy would be the expert, but according to them, (laughs) you know, the other older white man is the expert on black history why not (laughs) man it killed me it killed me but just a quick recap on the um other combat sports um obviously took that took place um over the weekend and uh, like i say i i I delved very briefly into boxing and i was so pleased i did because it entertained me Mm -hmm. but also as i mentioned earlier i delved into and and as a fan and i have to say the, the whole delving in as a fan is a really good way of reigniting your passion if you are feeling burnt out, if you are feeling overwhelmed with uh, week after week of combat sports, yeah. some of which, in terms of the lineup, hasn't been stellar. And uh, for me, this was a welcome return 
well to all things that entertain us because they started with Bellator 248 mm-hmm. um, Bellator Paris now you remember that this basically was history making because this is the first time first of all that um, mixed martial arts from a professional organisation from a major um, professional organisation um, took place in Paris um, it had been for a long while banned in France and it was such a awe-inspiring moment to see you know Bellator pitch up their tent and actually rock out but not only that it was the first time really that well the BBC were giving MMA its due and the BBC were actually getting behind as it were mixed martial arts because they actually um, broadcast this on the BBC iPlayer. I'm not sure if it's a big deal in the States, but it's a big deal certainly over here. You've got a major broadcaster. We're talking, you know, um, a a broadcaster of standing um, who have previously, you know, referred to this as uh, barbaric cage fighting. And um, I have to say, they they did good here because in the run-up, you had all the bear traps of this is cage fighting, why is this on the BBC, do you think? And the pundit who they had actually got on to represent uh, Bellator, as it were, was Leah McCaw. And she could see the bear traps a mile off and swiftly just basically told the story that should be told. This is mixed martial arts. It's about professionalism. It's about really competitive spirit and it isn't just blood and guts. It was brilliantly handled. So, like I say, not only did you have, I suppose sort of semi um, uh, shoulder programming in that you saw various pundits on BBC Breakfast, you saw um, pundits on, or a pundit on um, BBC Newsnight Mm -hmm. but it was a nice little segue into, you know, it being showcased on the platform of the BBC iPlayer now, it was split the card in terms of the headliner for the BBC portion of the card was uh, Michael Venom Page versus Ross Houston. Now, I thought initially when this was actually sectioned off, um, it was a bit odd, but I'm glad it was sectioned off in this way because the last thing that people saw was an incredible knockout, which I'm going to get into mm-hmm. in just a second. Um, Eve's uh, Landu, uh, his flying knee, yes. uh, at landed in a KO uh, against Terry Brazier's forehead. Now, the breakdance celebration uh, of that was... Just as impressive as the knockout. Just as impressive as... That's right. You're absolutely right. But um, for me, um, the, well, so-called um, headline portion of this didn't really deliver as I thought it, it might because MVP was complaining afterwards when he was you know trying to do his um, usual chicanery on the, on the actual canvas that it was too slippery but I think as I say the way that they portioned this it was quite clever because what people were left with in their brains in their minds was that incredible KO and uh, hopefully that actually led people over to Channel 5 because you know they t- did say um, in well, th- this was the call to action mm-hmm. when the clo- uh, when the show actually closed. So, I think all in all, this was a big thumbs up. This was a big shot in the arm for Bellator, and I think as well, it's a big shot in the arm for uh, mixed martial arts in general. Because not only w- was did the broadcast mention other promotions like Cage Warriors and um, the so. UFC, it, you know, it was it was an opportunity for people to see you know, um, that this isn't just one organisation, one promotion. There are others 
and you know hopefully there'll be some trickle down for those promotions did you catch any any of the fights at all no i only caught the ufc fight but i do know a little something something going on with bellator and i wanted mm. to discuss with you um mvp's performance against okay. um what's his name houston ross ross houston ross houston yes mm. what are your thoughts and why wasn't michael page able to like secure this victory and also i heard that uh, ross was a little hesitant because i am familiar with him he had that like crazy bloody fight with nicholas dalby and he is on a hell of a run like he's a cage warrior champ so he's legit yeah. so what happened again they mentioned that on the broadcast as well and mm. yeah he's bringing across a certain caliber but let's just n not forget um a couple of things one um this is his major step up into a major promotion let's not forget that you know cage warriors is a regional promotion this is a step up so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the bright lights may have actually been a factor there was a crowd which oh man it was so splendid to hear the cheering oh, yeah, and you know the, sure. the whooping and the hollering so did you but, no go ahead go sorry ahead. No, no, no i was about to say the, the 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 only other thing i would say is mm -hmm. in terms of mvp's performance Let's not, you know, take anything away from Ross Houston. Right. There's a reason why, you know, they made mention of um, the Cage Warriors belt. It is a prestigious thing to have. And um, Michael Venom Page was taking Ross Houston very, very seriously. You know, he was a high-level caliber of opponent. He wasn't what people ha have been um, terming him as. A, a no, can. he's not a can. Not at all. And, you know, to those who actually know about mixed martial arts, particularly the regional circuit, you would never consider Ross Houston to be a can. But I think Michael Venom Page explained it for himself because I did see at certain points he, he tried to, you know, get his usual um, flying knees and um, right, uh, spinning kicks and, you know, d different angles that he would be coming in at. He tried to get those off, but you could see that, you know, he was having trouble stabilizing himself. So I could see why, you know, he explained this in the post-fight interview. He kept it simple. He kept it very, very basic and secured a win. Yeah. I mean, it's a formidable opponent, so I'm not really surprised at that game plan. You know, like like you said, Ross Houston is not a can. So that's, I, I'm not exactly. really surprised at that approach at all. Exactly. But, you know, for me, that what I liked about this whole thing is, you know, I think not only is it a good look for Bellator, it's a good look for all organizations who, you know, I hope this, this will raise the bar for, you know, other organizations looking in now to think, you know, okay, how can we actually up our game? Um, the Channel 5 portion of the card, which took place uh, after the BBC portion had actually finished, and featured Tim Johnson and Czech Congo doing the do again. Mm -hmm. That ended in a split decision. But for me, the standout fight from the um, uh, Bellator Paris main card was uh, Saul the Hangman Rogers versus RB Medzidov. Now, that was back to classic um, Saul Rogers form where oh, yeah. you know, he's known for his chokes. He's known for his submissions. And in typical Hangman style, that ended in a um, first round uh, rear naked choke nice. brilliant good nice. to see him back exactly. and uh, good to see him back to strangling ways yeah I like him I know him but also um, featured over the weekend was KSW 55 now this is the point where I have to say I'm sorry I've got to put my hands up and say okay my turn to eat crow I tell you why when this was first announced that Mamed 
Kalidov was um, going to face Scott Askham again. I thought, why? You've done this already, and it was pretty conclusive. Scott Askham schooled you. Mamed Kalidov is seen as a legend in Poland, and he's seen as a KSW um, poster boy. Wow. So that kind of explains why they were doing the do again. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for him because for the longest while he remained undefeated. And, you know, Scott Askham really did school him. But when they actually faced this time, I'm not sure if you actually saw the outcome. Mm -mm. It ended in a first round KO. Mamed Kalidov basically did a beautiful switch kick and turned Askham's lights off. I just couldn't believe it. Literally switched him off within the opening stanza of the first round. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. If you get a chance, go and have a look at the clip which is on KSW's Twitter page. I've actually got it on my Twitter page as well of that kick being executed, but absolutely beautiful. Talk about a weekend full of KOs. KOs which I'm sure the neat segue is into... Um, UFC Fight Night 179, Marias versus Handtaker. Now, you know something? Initially, mm-hmm. when um, this was announced and when, um, you know, in the run-up to Saturday night, I was thinking, mm, I might just catch this in the morning. I might just, like, you know, over Coco Pops, watch the whole thing. <laughs> and I thought, no, something tells me that this is going to be incredible. I Damn, have the same feeling. What an understatement. Yeah. I had the same feeling. I think I tweeted uh, Thomas on MMA Twitter and was like, yo, I just got this sneaky suspicion that mm-hmm. they are going to bring it. And then I was 100% correct, Mike. They, this yep. fight was, I think, one of my favorites of so 2020. I, I think it's in the top three for 2020 for me. I thoroughly enjoyed, I think, every fight that they put in front of me. And then it also had just so much excitement, too. You know, we're going to get into those moments. But Mm, even mm. when the fights went to decision, they were fun. And then there were, like, these crazy knockouts and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Put it it this way. Mm -hmm. um, A card which actually started off with four decisions um made me a little bit apprehensive but mm-hmm. those decisions were really exciting That's now what of, I mean, yeah. the, of, of, of the prelims let's let's just divvy this up i'm gonna go for two which floated my boat mm-hmm. and i reckon you should go for two uh, yeah, our two fine. might actually cross over but talk me through your two which actually floated your boat oh no problem tracy cortez versus stephanie egger Love, mm. love, love this fight. And it's just like you said, even though it went to decision, I love this fight. Because what I saw in this fight, Mike, was that Tracy Cortez is really well trained. For three rounds, she was moving forward. Her striking, she was uh, always coming forward, always keeping busy, mixing things up. And then we also got to see her chin get tested. Little did we know, Mike, that Stephanie Egger was making her debut. She's a late replacement, right? She's from Sweden. I don't know anything Mm. about her. Come to find out, Tracy doesn't know anything about her either. But Tracy rolled with the punches and looked like such a well-trained fighter. Stephanie had a really hard right hand. And she would catch Tracy with it. And it was thunderous. But Tracy kept it pushing. And then, Mike, there was a point in the fight where Stephanie Egger was on the ground. And she hits Tracy with an up kick from hell. Do you hear me? Mm. It stumbled mm. Tracy, but she gets her wits about her, follows Stephanie to the ground, and then starts to scramble with her and starts winning these scrambling exchanges. And 
Unbeknownst to us, Mike, Stephanie is a pretty good grappler, and she had some really decent judo throws. But Tracy handled everything that um, Stephanie threw at her and won a decisive, impressive, tenacious three-round majority win victory. I loved it, loved Mm. it. And here's another thing, Mike. Although Mm. Stephanie um, Egger lost the fight, I want to see her fight again. Her, she hits hard as an ox, and she's a great grappler. I want to see a quick turnaround in her, and I want Tracy Cortez to keep doing what she's doing because she looks great. Go watch like it you if say you're into her. Well, yeah. it's like you say, there was tenacity on the show there. Speaking of tenacity, mm-hmm. did you know this fight basically featured so many uh, unbeaten fighters? And it was a tough night for those unbeaten fighters. Omar Morales, unbeaten, going into this. Uh, Rodrigo Nascimento, uh, going into this, was unbeaten. And KB Buller, yep. going into this, was unbeaten. As yeah. was Impa uh, Kasanganai. Now, mm. talk about my fight that actually floated my boat. Whacking Buckley KOs Impa um, Kasanganai into the sunken place with a spinning back kick from hell. I mean, basically, this this actual kick broke all records on social media in terms of it being one of the most popular or the most popular yeah, the most uh, bit of social media right content yep. that yeah that the UFC put out there. Now, for me, Kasanganoi's um, spirit was brilliant I, I i loved the way that they were swinging i loved the way that they were it, it looked as though it was an even matchup from from the get-go but damn talk about happy black history month i mean <laughs> making history in this way it's just Listen. absolutely incredible <laughs> you know i i did think though mike i i do disagree with you with one thing i did think it was mm. a nice matchup but i did think jacqueline was um the superior, you know, striker, the better boxer, and he was more aggressive. I did see... You think? Yeah. Just from my perspective, I did see the writing on the walls. Like, I was kind of like, if Impa doesn't make um, certain adjustments to this dude, mm. he might get knocked out. But, Mike, I ain't see that flying ninja shit, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I, I ain't say all that. I just thought Jacqueline was going to catch him eventually, but I did not see that. I feel so bad for Impa. You know he's about to see this loop over and over and over again. It's going to become like the the Ben Askren loop, you know? No, no, this is the Terry Etim loop that will run for years. I mean, that was an incredible kick. Imagine someone catching your right leg and you spin back. The athleticism. Jesus, yeah, that's absolutely people, incredible. People online keep saying, yo, I, I used to do that kick when I was eight years old. And I agree with them. That's when you have the <laughs> athleticism to kind of explode yeah. like that with your older brother held your foot. You don't expect a grown ass man, even a professional athlete to pull that off. You know, like, holy shit. It was incredible. And Impa died on his feet. Can we also talk about how his body reacted to it? His eyes rolled in his head. Yeah. Then he fell back. Like he, it took him like a half an hour to hit the ground, if you ask me. It looked like his feet were still moving, like he was trying to march forward. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, because it wasn't just the kick, it was his reaction as well. It was just, Mm. just was insane. And people are calling it like possibly one of the best knockouts in UFC history. I don't think there's any possible about that. That was the most brutal, most um, horrific knockouts in UFC history. I would mm-hmm. say in, in, in combat sports history, full stop. I've never seen anything like that. So ferocious, so accurate. This was no fluke. This was pinpoint accuracy with devastating effects. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was 
it was quite a night, you know? Like, this is why I tell people, like, yeah, a lot of these cards, you don't know these people. We're not familiar with them. People are making UFC debuts. Fights are falling apart. But then some of these cards are turning out to be bangers, you know? Like, never complain when they put these cards together. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Life's like a, a box of chocolates. Chocolates, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel with these fucking fights, man. Like, who knew that this card would be so explosive and give us the, you know, the knockout of the of the century, you know? Damn, damn. Okay, you you next. Yes. What, what else? What, what you know about who called the prelims? Yes, yes, sir. We are going to discuss Chris Dawkins versus Rodrigo Fiera. First of all, Chris Dawkins caught my eye in his last fight. He fought on, I think, believe I believe the Stipe and DC card. And he came out in the first round. He needed his opponent. His opponent fell apart, and he beat the crap out of him after that heavy knee. And that's just kind of what Chris does. So in this fight, he kind of did the same thing, except this time he comes across the cage, all calm, cool, collective, drops Rodrigo with a left hook, and once again, the man collapses like his similar opponent. He collapses, and he follows up with hard shots. He's like a fucking sniper, bro. Like, he just comes out there and he murders people. And then, unbeknownst to me, I'm, I'm listening to his post-fight speech. I'm listening to all the commentary. This guy's from Philadelphia. And it makes sense to me. You know, Mike, they say Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And I think ah. it's a goddamn lie. I think, the, <laughs> I think Philadelphia has some of the meanest people I've ever met in, in, in the United States. It's a lie. If you go to wow. Philadelphia and if you stare at someone for too long, you are going to get a similar response you might get in New York, which is what the fuck you looking at? Like they just have this. <laughs> it's like a new, it's like an East Coast, New York thing. They're tough. And he I don't know when I heard he was from Philly and he was a cop. I was like, it makes sense that he just goes across the ring and puts your mm. ass to bed and goes back to work. And I'm telling you, Mike, remember his name, Chris Dawkins. I'm not saying he's going to fight for a title or anything, but when he fights, you pay attention because you're about to have a lot of fun. This is his second first round TKO. Mm-mm. I want to You know something? You know something? Uh-huh. I hear that. I'm surprised that this wasn't um, even a special nod for you or special mention. Um, Tony Kelly um, versus Alakwasi. Um, yeah, that, let's that do gets it. My special, that, that gets my special nod. I'm only throwing that in there because of, well, one, the, the back and forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I, I saw some things in there that made my eyes water. And, you know, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> at, the, at the end where... I think it was Alakwasi, um slaps him or slaps Kelly on, on the chest to say uh, something like, um, you running or something like that. And, and Kelly's like, no, you running. And then they almost get into it again. Absolutely incredible fight. I thought it was strange. I, I thought it was in good banter. I thought it was in good, you know, like he was just fucking with him, like, good fight. You, re-, you know, like, yeah. I, I think he met it in a jovial way. But meanwhile, I think Tony was still hyped up from the fight. Yeah. And I heard in the post fight, interviews or you know after the fight or whatever he had said that he was really gunning for the 50 g's and felt like he didn't have an opponent that was also focusing on that and trying to put on a show but i i, I didn't really like his attitude i i thought Alequesi fought the smart fight he did his best i mean you tony you know stumbled him and with a knee and Alequesi was still able to recover and and slap him with two spinning back fists like what what more do you want from him he fought a good fight like what are you upset about and let me tell you, I was a little bit disappointed, too, with his behavior because in Tony Kelly's last fight, I can't remember his opponent, but it caught mm. my eye. Like, he's a really good fighter. I think he's really well-rounded, and he fights really—he has he has good fight IQ, too. 
And so I was kind of disappointed when he acted like this, but I'm still pumped to see him fight again. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know who I want to see fight again? And uh, this was the second fight that floated my boat. And that was um, Tom Breeze versus KB Buller. Now, uh, it's hard to say this because as a Brit, you want to see your fellow Brit do well. But Breeze was gifted that. He was gifted a green, unbeaten lamb to slaughter. And it ended in the first round KO. For me, KB Buller didn't deserve to be in there. (laughs) Again, he lost his 8-0 streak. Again, I feel as though it was like rabbits in the headlight. But I think as well, you know, let's just talk about and address the elephant in the room. It was clear for Tom Breeze, who suffered in the past with anxiety uh, issues, it was clear that this was designed to get his confidence back. So much so that, you know, even Dan Hardy acknowledged it on the broadcast. He said that, you know, he really hopes to see him back in the cage um, and hopefully that performance should actually get his confidence up. Now, I know that he is... Um, discussing and talking and meeting with sports psychologists. But I really do hope that, you know, that performance, like Dan said, does cement in his mind that, you know, he is capable of some tremendous things. He just needs to believe in himself. He's incredible. Yeah, he is. And hopefully, like you said, that his performance was a confidence booster, regardless of whether KB Buller was, you know, a formidable opponent or not, because... Mike, we've discussed this on the on the show before. When when you're given a fastball down the middle or if you're given a can, you yeah. are supposed to blow them out the water. Valentina did it to Jessica I. Uh, MVP mm. does it when you know an opponent shows up and we don't know who they are from Italy or somebody and he just starches them. This is what Tom Breeze did with like that that jab that was so powerful. He yeah. dropped the dude, he followed up with ground to pound. It was be- it was beautiful and fights over, no injuries, no nothing, a success. That's what you do when you get a can. Now for his opponent, I don't believe he's UFC uh material. Caliber. Yeah, no. and I don't know if we're going to get to see much of him again, and maybe that's for the best. But I uh, hope not, yeah. because he shouldn't have been in there. It was clear. You know what it, it was like? Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if you've seen, uh, I think it was um, Gladiator, where basically they have like the, the first Gladiator troop going out, and Russell Crowe's amongst them, and you know the guy in front of him is really reluctant to go out into the arena and pisses himself Mm -hmm. and that's what it it, you know that's the sort of vibe that you know KB Buller gave off that it looked as though he was petrified oh that's such a nice way of calling him a bitch Mike I'll just go ahead and say (laughs) (laughs) you have that way yeah you thought he you thought his performance was <laughs> I feel you. I think so too. Like I didn't see nothing. I I I don't know if he landed any strikes or anything. And he also looked. Remember, I hit you in the DMs. Like yo, this dude looked like a fish out of water. So, like, where'd they find this guy? But again, Mike, when they give you that guy, kill him. Mm-hmm. And that's what Tom did. So I'm happy for him. And perhaps Tom needed that too. You know, like everything happens for a reason. So best of luck to KB. But excellent performance, regardless of the caliber of the opponent for Tom. And good for him. <laughs> well, as we're on the main card now, ladies mm-hmm. first. Um, of the main card, what stood out to you? Um, your first one. Man, oh man. Let's just, I just want to get started right away with Marcus Perez versus Driscus Duplessis. And uh, mm. 
I again, I don't know who Driscus was or anything. And XKSW. Yes, and I'm not really familiar with KSW because it's so hard to track in the United States as far as you know mm-hmm. finding a link or the proper network because it's in Europe. So I have trouble keeping track. So when he showed you up, you need I'm like, that in your life. Yes, I know I do because look at the look at the man that came from this. Um, yeah. I was thoroughly impressed with his performance, but however, you got to give it up to Marcus Perez in the beginning of the first round. He kind of was yeah. very confident. I love the fact that he was capitalizing off of Driscus's nervousness. Oh my God, this guy was so nervous, Mike, that I don't know if you <laughs> noticed this, but yeah. like we noticed it. MMA Twitter started discussing it. Dan Hardy and T- and Felder noticed his nervousness so much that they started to be mm. like, yeah, you know, when I was nervous one time, they started exchanging nervous stories. That's how <laughs> nervous this man looked. I mean, when he got hit by Perez, he would just like kind of get all scrunched up and look like, oh, shit. Like he literally, you could see his face like, I'm being punched. And I just remember being like, holy shit. And then Mike... He's so goddamn nervous that Dan Hardy is talking about his nervousness when he finally wakes up and he starts tagging Marcus Perez. Next thing you know, he spins him with a hard-ass punch and the fight's over. And I'm like, wow, Mm. he finally woke up. He finally got over those jitters. And then because of this performance, I'm like, let me go online. Let me look this guy up. And yup, just like you said, you know, KSW dude, uh, 15 and, you know, 15 and, you know, two, Jesus Christ, like, he is the real deal. And then my man also said he would like to be the first African champ <laughs> in the UFC. Nice. And I, I thought that was a bit interesting. What did you think of that? Because I thought we already had African champs. <laughs> <laughs> well, put it this way, a little bit of an oversight from him. You know what I'm going to blame? I'm going to blame nerves because it was quite clear um, that he's obviously going over territory, which has already um, been filled in. But... You know, good for him. Um, it's good that he wants to represent Africa. But, yeah, yo, my man, um, notice, did you not get the email? Yeah. That spot's been taken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember when he said that, I just, I literally ignored him like a small child had one. You know, like when a child's like, hey, can I ask you something? And you're like, uh-huh, but you're not listening. That's how I felt about his comment. And then I also yeah. thought the same thing you said. Like, he's really excited. I mean, for mm-hmm. him to be able to release that nervous energy, and for him now to win like that, and now they put a mic in his face, and I'm sure he's, you know, he still feels that strongly about it. But I'm telling you, the nervous energy he he had to let go of was probably such a release. I've never seen a fighter that nervous before, Mike. Like it was unreal. I have. That, KB Buller. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean. If I if I dig deep, I'm sure I can think of some other fights where someone had like yeah. serious stage fright. But I mean, can you blame him, Mike? He's he's coming from South Africa. It's a short notice replacement. He doesn't know much about you know like he just showed up and now he's getting his it's, it's his time to shine. And then now the lights get turned on and boom, and you're facing Marcus Perez. I can kind of understand how somebody could be that nervous. You know something? I am a little bit shocked because KSW is I would say the leading shock and awe promotion in Europe. They know how to put on a bombastic and quite um, spectacular show. They know about production values. They know about scale. These are people who put on, typically in each event, um, 20,000-seater arena shows as a standard. I went to one of their 60,000-seater arena shows absolutely magnificent just something to behold so 
it surprised me when I saw that Duplessis was a little bit apprehensive, was a little bit um, timid and a little bit, well, it, it looked as though he was a little bit shy. I was surprised yeah. because having come from that sort of setup, as I say, KSW don't do things by halves. They don't do small, regional type, um, smoky, barroom type filler shows. No, they do big, bombastic shows, which, like I say, kind of sets you up for the UFC. But it may I, just be, you it know. It could be the um, time, too. We don't know how the time, he was yeah. training. It's COVID. It, mm. We don't know, like you know late replacement or or yep. just is he is he someone with anxiety who know we don't know this guy you know what i mean true. but that is true yeah and then also too we have to remember that yes ksw was legit and i hear you on it but ufc is the focal organization like once you're mm. in there baby it's the real deal you yep. know if you are the the middleweight champion in the ufc you are the middleweight champion of the world you are the best so Perhaps him getting that short notice, you know, call up for this and finally getting his time to shine had him all fucking tight and shit because, man, he looked nervous. But it played really well into the fight. I really liked that someone who was so obviously nervous was able to just take a breather, capitalize and win. You know, Mm. I like that. But I didn't like what he said about African champs. But we'll see where he goes with that as he continues like, to fight. <laughs> like I said, I think we're, we're agreed. Let's give him a pass on that because that was obviously the nerves. That was obviously the excitement. That was obviously the jitters. I don't know, Mike, because he said it again at the post-fight speech. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice, too. But it's like, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm over here like, yeah, I hear you. But I know, I watched the post-fight speech. He kind of said it mm. again. So that's why I said, we'll let it slide because, like, his performance was so dope and, and I'm intrigued. I'm not taking it personal here. It's not like, oh, I'm not gonna watch his fights or anything. But it's just like yeah. you know, I you it's know, I have odd. a bone to pick with you, sir, but I would like to see you fight maybe next week. You're that good. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tom Aspinall versus Alan uh, Bordeaux for me, um, was what I wanted to raise on mm-hmm. the main card as the first um fight that made me think, yeah, this is definitely noteworthy. One Tom Aspinall was a Brit, but two, we're talking about heavyweight with KO power and delivered first round KO. Aspinall Again. is actually laying waste to everyone they put in front of him, and I can't wait. I really do hope that they give him someone in the next couple of weeks. Put him on the 24th of October card. Why not? Why not? And he said that he wants to be developed, and I say, you know, why not give him, uh, what, the dude that just fought Ben Rothwell, my, um, Marcin Tiber. Tybura. Why not give him him? They just they're just Ooh. both coming off a win. You know, Marcin looked great against Ben Rothwell. You know, he I, didn't stay in the same place. He had some nice kicks, some nice counters, mm-hmm. and I think that would make for an interesting opponent for Tom. But it's it's up to Tom. He wants to be developed. So who knows if that's maybe too much of a jump for him or maybe not. You know, I, I think that might be pushing him on a little bit too quickly. I think in terms of development, I'm thinking, you know, maybe just slow your roll there. Mm. Um, i got to protect my Brit man. Why not give him someone like Greg, Hart, Greg Hardy? Come on. Because the Greg Hardy is on that favoritism developmental plan. So we can't really <laughs> play these, like, games with him because he's going to get somebody that's going to make him look good. If he fights Greg Hardy, Tom, there's a huge chance that Tom smokes him in the first round or maybe later on, you know, like... Tom can match that athleticism everybody seems to love about Greg Hardy. Yeah. So, but I doubt that happens. And yeah, maybe um, Tybura is too much of a jump for him. But I just, I don't care what they do with him. I want to see him fight again, you know? Yep, I hear that. And I'm happy he's not in a rush. 
I'm happy he's just not some cocky kid that's like, you know what, I want a title shot now. I'm happy he's like, I'm here to stay, but I kind of want to learn more. I like that. Mm. What else um, flew out of you at the main card? I'm going to skip Ben Rothwell and, and Tabura because I feel like just my little sentence about it was enough to cover that fight. Like, I'm not a huge heavyweight fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to jump back down to Yusef Zalao versus Ilya Tapura. And the reason why I love this fight so much is because I feel like Tapura, I didn't know anything about him. And mm. what I did realize is that he's really good and he's well fucking rounded and he's only 23 years old. It was kind of... He's impressive. so wily. Yes, he's so, again, kind of like Tracy Cortez's performance, just so gritty and tenacious. Just he doesn't give up. And not only that, he was good everywhere he went. I saw him on the ground. You know, I think he tried five submissions on Zalao. Yeah, yeah, he did. That he doesn't give up. And then on top of it, that takes talent for you to be whipping those submissions out your back pocket like that as somebody who is just as good as a grappler as Yusef. Mm. Now, Yusef, is, I didn't know he was this good of a grappler, but the way he got out of those five submissions was beautiful. But he was not the better grappler in the exchanges because he was always on the defensive end. Even though he defensively was getting out of submissions, you're still defending submissions. You know, Tapura is the one that is, you know, having the advantage here he's the superior grappler because he keeps trying to submit you and i love mm-hmm. it but i did notice in the third round that he um tapura ran out of gas i like that he instinctively went to wrestle even though he was running out of gas i thought that took a lot of heart but zalao could not you know capitalize off of that moment that window he had open to kind of capitalize and i love the fight and i love that tapura challenged zalao he had an easier fight last go around so i like to see him challenged and I love this fight, Mike. I just did. It's why I fuck with the prelims, bro. <laughs> I love the fact that he actually walked out there with his O as well. With his what? I didn't hear you. His O. He was unbeaten. Oh, going absolutely. In, and he's still unbeaten. Absolutely. <laughs> I loved it. Like, I love when um, the UFC at this time, the late replacements and stuff and the new people are, are annoying because as like purists, we want to go into it knowing you know, these fighters are, we want to pick. It's hard to pick when you don't know who the fuck this person is. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm familiar with Zalao, but I'm not familiar with Tapura, so it messes up my fight picks. But when mm-hmm. they show up and perform, and now I'm like, oh my God, now I have to pay attention to you. I kind of love it. It's like mysterious. <laughs> you know, for, for my final, before we get to the um, main event, mm-hmm. uh, final fight, all that was playing out in my mind when this was actually taking place was sit down, be humble, sit down, what? be humble. <laughs> Barboza made Americani, uh, Americani sit down and be humble a couple Fast. of times. Did you see that? That, right that hand. straight punch. Yeah. yeah, that straight right was so quick. It was so beautiful to see how just and it was like a little faint too. Like he just did a little faint and then rammed it straight Snap. down the pipe yes mm, mm. and some incredibly tight sub attempts as well it was a real and, dominant performance from start to finish and for me give the man some props his takedown defense is very obvious that he's used to people trying to take him down yeah he's got some yeah. strong square hips and i think a lot of his opponents always think the best way to beat him is to smother him and to take him down and i think as mm. shows that he's like come on guys you keep doing this i'm prepared for this and that's what it looked like in there. You got to give him props for that takedown defense. Man, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Americani, actually. No, I mean, considering people thought that he was going to get completely smoked, 
yes, it was dominant, but no, he gave a good account of himself. He, he could be, he, oh, I think he walked away proud with that performance. I'm not one of those people, Mike. When the fight was announced, I was the person that was like, I think Edson's going to win, but I am a little nervous. Like, I didn't sell the kid out that quickly because mm. he's an amazing grappler. He's a really good offensive wrestler. And those are the things that can give Edson a problem. Now, what happened was is that when Mercani showed up, he just wasn't able to implement that that well. He hit a wall Mm. with the takedown defense, Mm. and then he had to deal with the speed advantage. So it's like every time he comes in, he had to pay a price with some type of, you know, quick-ass counter from Edson or just, you know, he was careful. And he had to fight a careful fight, and he just, it it wasn't going to get him the win. However, in the third round, he did start to capitalize and was on top of Edson for a while and and, and, in top position, but it wasn't enough. And in fact, when they got up from top position, when the, the ref separated them, Edson started beating his ass. So... Even when he had um, top position and was capitalizing, Edson got up and didn't let him have it and still gave the judges a great impression of the fight in the third round. So it was a nice performance, and I really wanted Edson to win. He's had some close fights lately, Mike, in featherweight, and I really wanted him to seal a a good win. Hmm. Talking about good win, main event. Talk to me. Yeah, main event. Brother, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. That's what this main event was for me. Um, I picked Marlon to win, but I figured that Corey would give him a war. And yeah. I was just so impressed with Corey Sanhagen's. The most impressive thing, of course, the, the, the knockout was impressive, but I was in love with his footwork. I thought and his was, chin. His chin was incredible. Absolutely. Took some right, he took right some hard cracks in the first round. Yeah, yeah and, and the chin wasn't just incredible. He was never wobbled, but he was Marlon was landing some bombs, and the kid would just kind of, he didn't even react. He was just mm. back in the game. But me personally, the footwork was so dynamic. I mean, the, the, the switching of the stances as, as so fluidly as he was doing and just kind of that in and out movement, not being in the same place and just mixing up the body shots and the knees and, and all those like subtle feints were just a beauty. And then he capped it off with a knockout I didn't see coming, Mike. I, I, that spinning hook kick. I mean, I mean, finishing up with those couple of quick shots, it, mm. I didn't even think they were necessary. It looked like he was out of it as soon as no, he landed. No, I don't agree with you. I'm, I'm actually, you stole my thunder, as you like to say. I was just about to ask <laughs> you, <laughs> what did you think of the stoppage? I thought it was a little too soon. No way. That yeah. was correct. The right stoppage. Just like I reckon from the ref's vantage point, he saw what we did yeah. um, early on in the card. The man's eyes rolled back in his yeah. eyes because yeah. when that, if that, if a kick can slap you off your feet like that, there's something wrong with your consciousness that it can separate you from I gravity. Mean, I just, I just got confident when he did the roll. I was like, okay, he still got it together because he did a back roll. And then I saw him on his knees, and I'm thinking he's just gonna try to make his way up like it's he's about to defend himself and we weren't given that chance to see it but what I Mm. will say is that I'm not calling early stoppage and I'm also not complaining I just I'm not upset if the ref was gave him a little bit more time to recover but I'm okay with the stoppage (laughs) I'm glad you're on the the same page because I I thought it was a, a, a the right call and the right stoppage. I just feel Definitely like a the couple right place. more seconds, just a little bit more. I don't know. The, the the backwards roll gave me hope. I was like, oh, he got him. But when he rolled backwards, I was like, oh, Marlon, good. You know, like, who can do a back roll like that after getting slapped up the side of the head like that? And then he was on his <laughs> knees, and I figured, oh, he'll, his elbow will come up, and he'll try to get up. But we weren't 
you know, privy to that. So mm-hmm. nonetheless, I'm happy when a fighter doesn't take unnecessary damage and I was not in the cage. Perhaps the ref saw what you are saying, Mike. Eyes rolling in the head and maybe yeah. lethargic responses that we don't see mm. when we're on the couch. So you know. You are no, correct. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Talking of correct, you know what wasn't correct? Mm-hmm. You and I took in Cage Fighter Worlds Collide and um I think it's only right that we give a Watson All review. Now, it's directed by Jesse Quinones mm-hmm. and it stars um, UK MMA's Alex Montagnani. Now, he is a, a well a, a well-known face on the UK mixed martial arts circuit, but also Gina Gershon, uh, Chuck Liddell, and John Moxley, and Luke Rockhall. And uh, Brad Pickett also turns up in there as well. Mm-hmm. For me, this story of... A mixed martial artist who decides to take on a, um, how would you describe him? A, uh, what's that fake wrestling called? How, how do you, how do you, what's the WWE, polite term for it? WWE, WWF, the, sure. You see, I always get them confused because Me I too. know nothing about that world. Neither do um, I. <laughs> <laughs> from from a, a wrestling, that's it, okay. Um, a wrestling background, um, WWE style decides to take him on in a mergence of styles hence the words worlds collide in the cage fighter title but he decides to have a mixed fight and that is the world of um, wrestling or uh, if you can call that wrestling and mixed martial arts collide so they have this championship fight and Alex Montagnani's character Reese comes out of the wrong end of it now, the whole film is kind of like structured around his redemption, his road back, and I hated it. I thought in terms of setting the sport back, first of all, I had like kind of um, alarm bells were ringing for me when I saw the title Cage Fighter. It always gets my, my, my back up when a mainstream entity entitles anything or, or titles anything Cage Fighter. Because we, well, I suppose as as media outlets, we fight so hard against the stigma. And right. as soon as people hear Cage Fighter, they have a certain label that is associated with those words. So um, that's that's the first thing. But secondly, it was the wooden wooden acting, the lack of depth in the characters. It looked nice. The cinematography, the photography, looked beautiful, but the acting and the wooden lines and the way that they were delivered were straight out of you know a a tv or made for tv film and that for me was one of the the well several of the downsides the upside i'm trying to end this on a a positive before i hand over to you Mm. to give me your perspective on it in that it was a very um, mercilessly short uh, 98 minutes but also it features <laughs> it features the music of Genesis Elijah now you know Genesis Elijah did the mixing in terms of engineering for our Shots Fired podcast intro which features for fuck's sake Wido but I, I struggled to find positive things about this film I struggled with the whole premise of Road to Redemption because that's been done to death. I struggled with the um, clunky dialogue and I struggled with the cage fighter notion and, you know, the unanswered shots in this. It's funny, this is a neat segue from where you think that, you know, 
um, the last fight of the last UFC that we saw over the weekend um, deserved to go a little bit longer. This, well, there are moments in Cage Fighter where unanswered shots uh, was ridiculous. We're talking like unanswered shots. I counted in one instance there were at least 200 unanswered shots. Now, for me, I may be being unnecessarily critical. I may be being unnecessarily harsh. But I I should say, I've come from a background of film critiquing. I've come from a background of film reviewing. This was my beat when I was doing entertainment correspondence and um, rocking up to the BBC and giving film reviews. So... I'll just like leave that there to say full disclosure I'm coming from that sort of like you know experience but you tell me what you thought <laughs> I, I didn't I hated it <laughs> <laughs> I hated it um I mean it was just kind of like something to do on a Saturday morning with some coffee and you know breakfast mm-hmm. but I can't say it's the type of films that I would watch and really enjoy I, I thought the it was choreographed in a way that was just um, disingenuous to MMA like it just was over the top you know and I also think like it's it's true like the stigmas involve cage um, the title in itself and then also the even the, the villain or the bad guy the, the wrestler type of thing that w- it was nothing about that is true like if this was real none of that stuff would have happened there's no way a crossover wrestler would have such success and you know like that <laughs> it was just it was so unrealistic and the acting was kind of bad, but it was fun to do with nothing to do, you know, like, I don't know, it just, it didn't move me, but I did like to see Luke there. I was happy to see certain fighters in the movie and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. Luke was cool. I felt like he played himself, like he was a little bit of a jerk, so <laughs> it was pretty cool, you know. You know how, like, he presents himself. I don't know if he's a jerk or anything like that, but he kind of acted the way in which you think he would in the way in which he presents himself, you know, in that yeah. way. So, entertaining if you don't have shit to do, but I can't say it's a good movie, no. Nah. I mean, people can make their own minds up. It's on demand. I do believe it, you can get this via the Apple Store, and I think it's on Amazon Prime. Don't quote me on that, but if people want to make up their own minds about Cage Fighter, Worlds Collide, it's on general release, online, on demand. You go and have a look and um, let us know online whether we are being unduly harsh. As usual, you can connect with me <laughs> via... Mike Woe TV on Twitter. I want to hear every single review uh, when once it's it's seen by you. And where can people or how can people uh, let you know about uh, their thoughts on this? G. Oh, I'm always at G Spot MMA. Now, I just want to ask one one final thing about that film. Does that now put into perspective how good Warrior is? Oh, I didn't like Warrior either, so I thought they Well, yeah, corner. yeah, but <laughs> when you when you when you actually weigh this up against Warrior, Warrior is a cinematic masterpiece, gritty, realistic, yeah. and Oscar-worthy when you yes, compare it to it this. It, it absolutely is. Like that is a classic timepiece <laughs> in comparison to Cage whatever I watch. Yeah, no. Cage like, Fighter. Cage Fighter, it's much collide. better. Yeah. <laughs> Warrior is much better. oh man well it's about time to have a look if we have any posts about um questions that people want answered 
So Wait, I, I think we have two audio, and I have one from War Shailen as well. So I think that's okay, what we well, might be working with. Whilst you're actually um, reading out the one from, did you say War Shailen? Yeah, it's actually War Whore Shay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Twitter is what, so What wild. does the War Whore have to say whilst I queue up well, the audio? The War Whore wants to know, what was your favorite KO of 2020? And she's probably asking because last night we had the KO of the century. So what was, what's been your favorite KO of 2020 so far? Um... You see, I know this is recency bias, but I just can't get that KO out of my head. Everything actually pales into insignificance. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where I can, you know, um, respectfully and, you know, where I can actually have anything on par with what I saw. Mm. How about you? So you're going with Buckley. I have a tie because I'm stuck on Buckley, but I also... Yo, when Shamaya Cole busted down Meerschat, it rocked my world. Like, I was not expecting it. Like, it affected me deeply. I think my mouth stayed open for quite a while, and I, I was unable to tweet even the, you know, like, my excitement. Like, right now, <laughs> it's neck and neck between the athleticism and the beauty of that spinning back kick to, to just the cutthroat, you know, just shoot somebody in the face with a right hand real quick and call it a night, Shamayev. So I'm stuck on yeah. those two right now. <laughs> okay well first up in terms of the audio questions we've got aaron jackson gee mike it's juice from the fighting with myself podcast and i have to give major props to kairos for holding court in the absence of g and chisanga uh, <laughs> last week's shots fired uh particularly his thoughts on the black lives matter movement and the implications of defunding the police well done, sir. I really, really enjoyed it. But bringing it back to MMA, I also want to congratulate Kairos for giving props to uh, uh, Joaquin Buckley. Uh, I think a lot of people, myself included, saw that uh, his fight with Ke- Kevin Holland in his debut. Kevin really made it look easy. Um, he did. And given how Impa Kasangane has looked, I just thought that this would be a coming out party for Impa. My God, that was a video game style uh, knockout. Just, just incredible stuff. I don't have so much as a question, just as to say, when are we going to start putting some respect on Kairos' name? <laughs> Love y'all. Peace. He's right. Um, I have to say, as someone who has been an open uh, adversary of Kairos, he, I have to say, all, all seriously, schooled me on a lot in terms of Black Lives Matter because there is a lot of, uh, I would say, misinformation, disinformation. I think some of that is is done in, in a purposeful manner to divide and conquer, but um, I genuinely had questions and it was good that he was open enough and uh, mature enough to say, you know what, yeah. let's have a dialogue because it's clear that you want to know. And I'm, I'm re- I was really proud of that episode, by the way, and I'm really happy Juice brought that up because remember I DM y'all like, y'all about to make me cry here. In my absence, you got <laughs> Kairos preaching the word. And mm. I loved what he said about defunding the police because people don't know what that means, yet they're against it. Yeah. And I love that if, if people listen to our show and they didn't take the time to Google it or to do reading, um, he kind of cleared that up for you. And we need voices like that because unfortunately in this day and age, Mike, we're dealing with people that just don't even check information anymore. It feels good. They go with it. 
defunding yeah, the police yeah. sounds scary, so it means um, get rid of the police department when that's not what we're talking about. But so many people are going with that, so we need people like Kairos, me, you, to kind of talk to people about this on this show or wherever, because people aren't doing their due diligence and doing doing the their you know their homework and, and researching. So it you know, stops I, the spread of propaganda. I, I don't want to be the conspiracy theorist here, but I really do feel that is being pushed. It's been pushed and it's, it's been both. pushed hard because the disinformation which is out there, I would say is in the majority, not the minority. The views that I was hearing and the, the clarity I was hearing from Kairos mm -hmm. isn't what you hear online. No. You hear a lot of disinformation. You hear a lot of bullshit. And you hear a lot of lies. Mike, they push it because they know that people are too dumb to be critical thinkers and to be like, you know what? You're pushing this. Let me see if it's true. Or what does mm. defund the police mean? You don't know how many tweets I've seen where it's like, I don't believe in defunding the police. This, this, and that. It means they're not going to be on the street. It could affect manpower. And meanwhile, it's like, wow, dummy, you didn't even really look into what it means. Like, you're so <laughs> wrong. Like, yeah. And people don't also realize, too, too, Mike, that uh, some police departments have already been defunded and people didn't even know it. So what's the outrage? It's just an allocation wow. of resources. And everybody keeps talking about police need training. If you defund the police, which is basically an audit of the police, more money might go to their training while you're doing this, you know, allocation of resources. It could be a yeah. good thing. So I'm glad y'all touched up on that because people don't do their research about Black Lives Matter or defunding the police. Hmm. Next up, Todd Rhino from Combat Sports with Rhino. Hey, my friends, it's your big homie Rhino from the Combat Sports with Rhino podcast. We had quite the night of fights last night. Mm -hmm. Lots to unpack, lots to talk about. I'm sure you're going to get a, a bunch of questions about the amazing Buckley kick. Uh, I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to ask about Tom Aspinall. Uh, this dude has been on a tear lately. He got another quick win last night. Um... He legitimately hasn't lost in like a few years, and his last loss was due to a disqualification from a 12 to 6 elbow. So the dude's on a heck of a streak. He looks great. He's big. He's young. He hits really hard. Uh, he's got a lot of upside to him. I say give him a top 15 fighter for his next time in the UFC. What do you guys think? What do you guys think should be next for Tom Aspinall, and what's kind of the uh, ceiling you see for this guy? Thank you very much. Love you guys. Love the show. We'll talk to you later. I have to say, um, a rising boat raises all tides. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people may have a notion that, no, I'm not going to promote another podcast on my podcast. Everybody listening to this, go and check out Combat Sports with Rhino, with my man Rhino, um, or Ronnie to his friends. Um, he is, for me, the podcaster's podcast. Mm -hmm. He delivers on a weekly basis info and interviews that you need to be hearing because I certainly love hearing it but just to deal with his question I personally alluded to it to um, um, Todd's uh, question earlier and that is I, I, I would like to see slowly but surely uh, Tom Aspinall brought on but I want to see it done in a way that kind of like develops him and doesn't push him too too quickly and you know Rano's right in that he has actually been wearing out every single competitor that has been put his way. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just pump the brakes ever so slightly. One, he's a Brit, so I'm going to be overly protected. But two, I would like to see development in his career and um, not development to an extent where, you know, we, we, we push him too hard. 
So my whole Greg Hardy as an ex-opponent, <laughs> I have to say, I'm standing behind that. I'd love to see him face Greg Hardy. How about you? Um, I'm looking at some rankings now, and it's like if they want to develop him, my earliest suggestion is out the window with Tyson Tabura, and I don't think Greg Hardy's realistic, but I get the matchup. So why not give him somebody that's going to slug it with him, like Chase Sherman? You know, like give him, give him Chase. Chase is always down to fight, and... I highly doubt they're going to wrestle and they're just going to stand and bang. And I think that's a winnable mm-hmm. fight for either one of them. And I just like, I just say slow his role. You know, he wants to be yeah. developed. That's why I went as far as, you know, somebody is Chase Sherman. Let him have a little fun or give him Marcus Lima or, you know, give him some of these lower ranked guys and do exactly as he says and develop him and also let him, you know, let go of those hands even more. So, so develop him so i'm giving him somebody down the um way down the (laughs) the rankings with that (laughs) okay well you know something just before Mm -hmm. we go i know that was the last question but i've got a question for you now i always rely on you kairos chisanga to rein me in (laughs) am i being the overexcited puppy to say that look we had ksw 55 we had Bellator Paris and we had the UFC on the same night and we have never had it so good. My question to you is this, can you think of a single moment in time that rivals what happened on the 10th of October 2020 with all of those promotions doing great things? Remember the the historic nature of Bellator Paris as well. Remember the fact that they were on the um, the BBC, but also remember that each and every promotion brought it in terms of, you know, the caliber of card and spe- specifically um, memorable finishes that we we've been talking through. I mean, like I say, in short, am I being the overexcited puppy to say, you know what, we've never had it so good? No, I think it's okay to get excited. I think there was a shit ton of MMA on, and not only was a shit ton of MMA, it was like. You know, they like f- fans were in attendance for one event. Like there was just yeah. so much going on, and then you you know you have KSW, you've got the European bangers, and then you got Bellator, and, and then they're, they've got fans in France, and then you've got the UFC that has this sneakily good card to just top off the mm. night. It was just to me, it was like a really incredible card, and once again, you never know what you're gonna get, and we got pretty much everything <laughs> on the tenth, bro. Like we we got a knockout of the century. You know, so I don't know. I I think you. It's okay for you to be excited, Mike. <laughs> well, that about wraps up this episode of the Wocast. We will be back midweek with Chisanga and Kairos for shots fired. Until then, make some trouble.